Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Curious Competitor Podcast. I'm your host today, current New Jersey Devils defenseman, Connor Carrick. Our guest today is Ben Finelli. He's a human performance and behavioral health consultant. Uh, he's launched his own company named Heroic Minds. This is off the back of uh, his own uh, professional hockey career. He played in the Ontario Hockey League, uh, played 201 games in which 2012-2013, uh, he was a CHL Humanitarian of the Year. Why? Uh, ben Finelli... And I don't want to spend too much time on it because he's he's clearly not defined by this moment and, and has grown and become so much more. But there was a a nasty hit uh, by a particular player where he had fractured his skull. He had two subdermal hematomas and an epidural hematoma. He does not remember a full seven, eight days of his entire life. He was told uh, or or warned, I guess, at the hospital that he sport was out of the question and that he would never or could possibly never be the same person again, that personality wise uh, and just general brain function, he may face uh, some adversities. His healing uh, process, you know, was, was borderline miraculous. And I am extremely grateful that Ben was able to share uh, some of that with us today. And, and I'm really just so impressed by, you know, I, I can call him a young man. He's around my age, but a person of such, intensity and and desire to learn and desire to help others. Ben Finelli, uh, thanks for your time today. And for our guest, uh, you're in for a treat. Let's do this. Ben Finelli, welcome to the Curious Competitor Podcast. Um, I'm super excited to have you on. I love all my guests. I try not to show too much preferential treatment, but I just have a lot of respect for uh, what you achieved in our game. We played against each other when I was, you know, Plymouth Whaler, and you were, you know, the captain of the Kitchener Rangers. We had some strong teams, the both of us. Um, I have a, a personal relation to, you know, what might have been one of the more pivotal moments in your life, the, the big injury that... Uh, you know, we don't need to highlight, uh, we don't need to spend much time talking about it. If you want to see it, it's on YouTube and, and, you know, I know also you did a feature with Sportsnet where they show it real briefly and it's, it's not for the faint of heart. Uh, now you're into, you know, human performance, uh, and you're a behavioral health consultant, you know, with what you're doing at Heroic Minds. Um, I say we start with, I have a personal anecdote, I guess, with the hit and the injury, was I used to, when I was considering going to play in the Ontario Hockey League, this was like, the, the, there were some big bad dudes still playing in the OHL at the time. You know, there were still tough guys and, and guys, you know, playing for the Windsor Spitfires claiming they were going to go for 50 fights that year. And I would, before training, uh, I would watch that hit. Amongst some other ones, like I'd watch the, you know, the famous, you know, Cassian Elbow, I forget on who, and and I would just think to myself, like, there's some big fish in this league and I have to go to the gym, and become some sort of mutant to protect myself any which way I can, uh, because this league and this game can be brutal. And, you know, I, uh, I was getting a little choked up watching, just doing the prep for our interview, you know, watching uh, some of those videos because like I was a very young, impressionable player at that time. And that fear as a motivator was so strong for me. Uh, and and part, partly I'm, I'm grateful for 
what I was able to steal. And if it wasn't you and I, I wish it hadn't happened, but you know, it would have been something else that I would have, I would have, uh, you know, gained motivation from, but when you think back, what has been so pivotal, uh, in that moment in your life, what do you remember about it? Well, that's the interesting part is the, the pivotal moments weren't from anything to anything within the, probably the, other than the situation itself, those three months surrounding the, the injury. And then three months later, returning back to start living with the Rangers again, with no chance of me ever playing again, just to get back in the culture that I was so lucky enough to be in, in Kitchener with 23 guys supporting me, pushing me in the right direction. I mean, that's, if you're talking pivotal, you're talking a change of, of my life, a change of view on, on what success means and, and what work ethic means, all those things. That was because I don't remember. I mean, I don't remember the whole week. Yeah. I don't remember the, the night before. I remember we, we played Brampton and, uh, Ryan Murphy and I played together and we, we had a, the worst period what together of our lives was, in the first, by the way, Oh my God. In the OHL. It's, yeah. I, it's, it, it was next level when he was, he was getting four points at night and 16 years old, him and Ellis were going back and forth when Ellis was already a, a stud. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. So Murph and I had a terrible first period. This is the night before it happened. So I remember that. I remember getting on the bus and handing out the meals as a rookie. And then, then I wake up in the hospital. So the whole next day I was fine. Right. But whole next day, I don't remember the game, the injury, being in the hospitals, bits and pieces. I remember coming to and, and the, the terrible news. Uh, but besides that, everything's a blur. And so then the, from home from there is my, my default personality was, well, okay, let's push the envelope then from what they told me I was able to do. So I was walking around the block. So I'd walk around the block, come home, have a nap, walk around the block, come home, do Sudoku, come home, have a nap. It was like very, for me, that was pushing the envelope because that's all I was allowed to do. I was on anti-seizure medication. I was still trying to get rid of all the symptoms. But then where, where the pivot began really was I started to get my personality back while I was at home. And I'd only been home for a couple months. They said I wouldn't return to school for at least three years and I'd need an assistant if I, if I ever did want to return to school. Like it was, you know, I had three, two subdural hematomas and an epidural hematoma. So it was insane that I'd even walked, you know, didn't walk, but even got out of the hospital and avoided brain surgery, which is also a, a rabbit hole we need to, we don't need to go down, but just so lucky. So again, the, the pivotal point that's behavioral and, and applicable for me now is when I came back to the Rangers and we were just talking about this with coaches and how certain coaches decide to, to lead and approach, approach their team as athletes, approach them as human beings, so on and so forth. And when I came back, Spotter said, and this is a guy that was in the position we talked about. He said he's in the junior level. He wants to get to the NHL. He, he's, you know, drives into the office every day from Toronto. Or two, he's not there to, to play games. And he, and he was very clear about that. When we sat down first meeting back with the team, he said, Finels, you're going to be a part of this team for as long as you signed your contract. He said, I don't know if you're going to play ever again. That's not my expertise, but that stall is going to stay in the corner of the room. And if you're a part of this team, you're going to have that there and you'll be able to take on some type of role if you choose to. Which looking back now, the power in that, again, coming back to, geez, you should have even recorded and shared what we started this conversation off with because it was also relevant. 
is again, it comes back to the actionable side of, of things. You have this meta narrative of who you want to be, but then he gave me something actionable. Like, what do you, what do you want to do? You can't play. The doctors are saying you can't play. Geez, everyone in the country said I couldn't play. So what are you going to do? Where are the actionables? So where could I basically start to take control of my own? I don't like using destiny. I think there's, it's a little bit cliched, but take control of my own journey. And, and that's what he did. And he also made me accountable. So it wasn't a fluffy, oh, do whatever you want. It was, you be on time, just like everyone else, you know, if you're going to be here. And so it was, it was so empowering that he gave me this, this identity that I could now start to live towards or behave towards. I became the, the one that was hopeful to be the comeback kid. That's, I was hopeful. That, that was my, that was the identity I painted myself with. That's how I decided to lead my life. And then I had a leader and I would say with me being spotter, my two other coaches, Paul Fixter, uh, Troy Smith, and even my captain at the time, Dan Kelly, and then the incredible other leaders we had on the team, John Moore being one of them who, you know, and the the list goes on and the guys I was lucky enough to play with Lance or uh, Gabriel Landeskog as well. So Jeff Skinner, another one, like these guys, they were, they were shaping their, their life to be who they are now. You know, those three guys alone that have done so well in hockey took the time to make sure I was on track and then I was motivated. And so again, coming, coming back, you know, talking about the hero's journey, your meta narrative, what you're consciously doing, what you're subconsciously doing. It was, it was, I had this story in my mind of who I wanted to be. And this is what I always talk about now. And, and yeah, it was important to, to have in mind, but it wasn't what I dreaded over every day. It wasn't, you know, I, well, I hope to get back to playing. And if I don't, oh my God, my life's going to be over. Right. It, it actually got back to that, which we can get to in this conversation. But during that recovery, I had the, I, I, I wasn't telling myself I'm Ben that's going to be an NHL player. Because if you think about that, I was so far away from it. Yeah, that was, that was something I'd like to do one day, you know, come back, play in the major junior, and then hopefully play in the NHL one day. But the other thing that comes with that, if you're constantly focusing on that, is going into that prey mode. I'm backed into a corner. What if I don't become this hockey player? I was so far from that, that it would have been a disservice if every day I woke up and said, hey, I'm not an NHL player yet. Let's see what I can do. I'm not an NHL player yet. That constant tyrant of a voice. But rather I said, okay. And I didn't know this at the time, but I said, I'm going to be the comeback kid. And, and for me, in my mind, that allowed me every day I woke up to do something actionable that led to fulfill that identity. I'm, I'm, I am being the comeback kid. I'm working out two times a day. I'm, I'm already back in high school and I was told I would never come back to school. Okay, I'm fulfilling this identity. And so what happens when you do that, now that I know psychologically, is you, you're, you're acting and behaving like the person that you want to be. And now follow me on this because this is one of the biggest issues today is a lot of people behave and act in a way that is separate from who they want to be or who they believe they are. So we have... Give you an example in the in the sporting world. One of the one of the issues is we have people acting and behaving in a way to you know to become whoever they want to be as a hockey player, but part of them, part of their identity is that they're not the NHL player yet. They're not the NHL player with two cars and and that are you know a five million dollar deal. And so there's an incongruence there, which that's what Carl Jung would call that space between you know where you are and where you want to be, who you are and who you want to be you know presently. And there and there's a difficulty in accepting. It was difficult for me to say, I'm, I'm Ben, the comeback kid. And the reason I'm the comeback kid is because my career was kind of thrown off the rails. 
I wasn't lying to myself saying, it's okay, I'm still going to go play in the NHL. I'll be there in a couple of years and just lie to myself. Cause we, we all know, you know, we know ourselves better. I think, well, maybe not. I think we know when we're lying to ourselves and that just becomes a disservice. But you know, to, to say, where was that pivotal moment? It was, it was when I realized I'm not going to solve the world right now. I'm not going to be back playing tomorrow. So who am I going to be in this moment? Who am I going to be for the next three months, potentially three years? You know, I was lucky to get back after two years, but who was I going to be along that journey? And how was I going to behave that way to fulfill that? And luckily enough, it, it paid off. Um, you know, it, it, I think people, it's, it's, it was interesting seeing the amount of support I got. I always, I want to do that for a living. I want to give back to people and put food on my table for a living 100%. Nothing pulls me out of bed more than the ability. I, you know, I've seen friends with millions and millions of dollars. It's cool. But what pulls me out of bed is seeing tangibly that I've, I've empowered someone to overcome something. And the reason I want that so bad is because I had that during my two years away from the game. Heck, I still have it now in this, this community that I'm still in where I played hockey and the, the, we're seeing it now through this pandemic, like the power of community. And again, that's so cliche. It's just that if you don't have anything else to give, you have this, everyone has this superpower of being able to help each other and give back, which sounds cliche may sound soft, but it's just fascinating to know, no matter how low we, anyone ends up going, you lose your job, you lose your money, you lose whatever, your sport. And you'll never lose, like, you know, Victor Frankl says, you'll never lose the story. You can always change that story in your mind and which can empower you. But what you also never lose is the ability to empower someone else to become something greater. So I think I find that, you know, that can go anywhere. I don't even really know where that will go in conversation. I just find that fascinating. And I try to bring that with me everywhere. Walking downstairs and you get the chance to hold a door for someone. I, I don't know. I love that. That, that gets me going when I can do something little for someone else, something big. Yeah. Great. But if you can't, you know, you never leave home without that opportunity to, to make life better for someone else, to empower them, um, to become something greater. And I think that's, that's a pretty cool tool that, that every human being has. You know, and props to Steve's spot and yourself, because the two of you together created three things that whenever I'm overwhelmed and those circumstances do come up, whether it's in training and life with, with whatever, but the three things, like if you can have some structure or some discipline, if you can have a, a community, you know, with, with a like-minded goal or just, just positive energy, just pursuing anything, right? Like that's what we both have been able to love and experience about the game. Like the, the coming together of a locker room, the pursuit of uh, high performance day in, day out, and the third one, you know, you did on your own a little bit, but the importance of making digestible goals, like, like it has to be tangible and in front of you and measurable in a way that you can garner this sense of momentum, right? Because momentum's this fickle beast where all of a sudden, uh, and, and I, I've been at it, where there's this mental strength uh, that's on the positive side of momentum, right? Like you're, you're, you're playing good, you've got another game coming, you're confident. I've been playing good. This is no big deal. Uh, you you finally have that bad game. Well, who cares? I've got leash with the coach. I had 10 points in the last 12. Like I can fall off pace for a second. I still got this. Or it can go the other way where there's uh, an increased amount of fragility on the negative side. Well, like, and, and I've been at points in that uh, in my career where 
I felt at the mercy, for example, uh, of a coach. I felt like my leash as a player was decreasing and I would do the opposite. I would think about how big my goal had to be. I'd be like, okay, if I can just play 30 straight games of mistake-free hockey, I think I can get back into the top four, right? And then all of a sudden, <laughs> what like, a daunting nothing, task. <laughs> nothing feels good, right? Like you have a good yeah. period, you're like, it doesn't matter. I've got to have 900 more because if we have three, <laughs> three periods in a row, you know? And uh, there, was, there was one quote while you were talking that I wrote down. I'm, I'm glad I was able to find it because my handwriting sucks here. Um, <laughs> but you said, you know, quote, would I go through the journey of, again? Of course not. Uh, but the fact the situation made me look at something other than hockey was the healthiest thing I could have had in my life at that time. And where that speaks to me is a couple of things. Number one, I'm in, I guess the, I, I try to give someone the best version of themselves as well, like through this podcast. Right. And I think we're both people, you know, very ambitious, uh, in pursuit of our potential. You know, I, I have a particular disdain, uh, for potential. I want to potential. I want to know what's beyond that ceiling. Uh, but I know how treasured the gift is when someone, you know, can enable me, can help me, can coach me in a way, uh, that leads to my best. So what, what did you learn? What was so healthy about that process at the time? And again, maybe not at the time, but you know, it, through the entire recovery process and you can go through the next two years here. Cause if anyone hasn't seen the video, I wish I had like one of those cool podcasts where I had, you know, Jamie and Joe Rogan, where I could pull up the clip real quick. And, <laughs> and, uh, but that, when you take the ice again for Kitchener, what a rank that is. Like I always loved playing on the road there. It was stellar. Um, you know, I'm starting to sweat thinking about it. Like it was, what a scene. Yeah. It, it, I always say, you know, I never did play pro, but from stories I've heard of guys coming back, we were pretty lucky in, in Kitchener to have at least a bit of a taste of what it would be like. And very similar to London. I think London's rink was a little bigger. And, you know, even when we would travel to, to Owen Sound, to, uh, where were other close, closer rinks, Niagara, anywhere around here that we would go, we would almost, some places we would have half Guelph, Oshawa, we would have half the rink full with our own fans that just came with us. And, and so it speaks what it would probably be like in Kitchener with 7,000, 7,500 people. Again, a 16 to 21 year old, that's, that's pretty cool. So I always say I got a bit of a taste of it with the kind of support that we no, received you did. in Kitchener. And, and just how yeah. the, the rink was so straight up and the fans, like, oh, yeah. you, you know, you can have, you can have 20,000 people there sitting on your, you know, sitting on their hands, but like in Kitchener, even compared to London, like, I don't think the London Knights had, you know, half the atmosphere that Kitchener, like it was a gritty group that they really rooted against you. They hated uh, <laughs> their opponent. And I, I loved it. I just thought it was so admirable. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, we were, we were very lucky that way. Um, and I, and I always try and remember that uh, it's something I could probably improve on actually is reflecting on the past and certain accomplishments because I don't do it enough. Uh, but that's definitely one of them is, is taking that in and reflecting on what that was like. But you brought up a, a fascinating question that could go so many different ways, but that, that moment of realizing it the first moment wasn't even realizing that hockey wasn't everything. Cause I still thought that it was the first moment of sticking my head out of the grass or out of the, the goldfish bowl that I was in where you look around and everyone generally behaved the same way, generally had the same interests and you were safe in that world. You're safe in that fishbowl as an athlete. 
this is a lot of the stuff I'm actually getting into now with, with athletes and the identity issues that exist that I believe, uh, this is my own hypothesis, that the identity issue is the reason for it that plays into the concussion crisis, that plays into the financial crisis, that plays into any other sort of behavioral issues that are in the game, I think stem from this identity issue. And, and I'll tell you why, you know, I, I was, I wanted it so bad and thought that it was the only thing I would get gratification at, gratification out of in life, so much so that I was willing to go back and play in a game that almost took my life. And, and yes, I, I, I took the two years, I did my due diligence. We went to see a bunch of the top uh, doctors in the space to say, get, get the approval. But still, it's, it's actually quite crazy if you think about it. I think it, for what, for the injury I had. And so I think at the time I was, I was okay with it. And I, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and that's a, a rabbit hole we could go down maybe at a later date, but coming back to this identity piece, you become this single-sided person that, and I've done some work in, in the area in my master's right now in counseling psychology. And it's, it's, the answers are all there. That's, that's the funny thing with this, this identity issue. So here I am, I'm 16 years old. I pushed everything else aside. Soccer was fun. Boom. It's gone. It's all hockey. And my gratification's hockey. Everything's hockey. My identity's hockey. If I don't have hockey in my life, what the heck am I going to do? And I would just ignore it because it was too much of a daunting thing to try and comprehend and digest and accept and work through. So I just never did. Thinking, and, and at the time, everyone else around me saying, hey, you're going to play in the NHL one day. And I'm sure you were there too. There's so many people that, that are, some make it, some don't, obviously. And that, so that's where I am, 16 years old. Obviously, I'm young, naive, and I'm going to believe everyone that says what I want to hear. You're going, to, you're going to be a pro one day. You're going to be a pro. Okay, perfect. And then obviously that doesn't work. And, and the, the problem with this process is there's, there's a couple of things. I mean, identity foreclosure is one of them. So at a relatively young age, I mean, I just figured out that I want to move into counseling psychology when I was 25. But here are young athletes at... What, what would you say in the States? I mean, eight, seven is, is when you're, you're starting to specialize, yeah. really. I mean, yeah. people say specializing is, geez, it's like eight, nine. So identity foreclosure is this idea where you're, you're, you're almost overcommitting to an identity to someone that you want to be before you've given a fair chance or a fair view to so many other things in life that you might enjoy or that you may be forced into one day with, you know, without your, your intent, you just end up there. So you have these young individuals deciding who they're going to be and what they're going to do and where they're going to get their gratification from this identity foreclosure and then put them in a, a hostile environment. I think we would both agree that oftentimes it's a bit of a hostile environment, uh, whether that's due to you know, certain people's behavior or just the situation. You, you're the single sided person. You, you're the next pass you're going to make is whether you're going to step on the ice again for the next 20 minutes and this is the only thing you have. And so there's this vulnerability that takes place. And it's, it's of, of course there is. This is the only thing I can do. My entire future is banking on these next five minutes of play. You know, the last five minutes of the game, I'm on the power play. I better create, I better get a point here because I need to get on here again the next game. So you, you put these people in this vulnerable position and maladaptive behaviors come out. And what I mean by that is you start acting, you know, being the predator or the prey, you all of a sudden start to feel like you're a little bit backed into a corner. All of a sudden, there's this need to uh, seek approval from other people because you feel vulnerable. 
And so these, these, these issues, they, you know, they pile up, they pile up. There's a, a lack of self. You don't even know now, okay, I'm this hockey player. You don't, you haven't entertained any other part of your identity. And where the, where the unfortunate switch happens is when you go from harmonious passion, which is where you're passionate about something, you, you're just getting nothing but positive things from it. It's a harmonious. So it's great. It's a good passion to an obsessive passion. And that's where the issue basically arises. You have this, this uni or single-sided identity that you've been moved into an obsessive passion and obsessive passion is a passion where you're obsessing over something because of the fear of losing it and because of the fear of failing. Similar to, uh, I had an incredible sports psychologist from the Yankees on my podcast a couple of weeks ago. And she said, she put it in a better way than I do, but she said, you're, you have the decision to try to win or try not to lose. And this is just a different way of saying that, right? You, you're still trying to do the same thing, but you're going at it in two different ways because you still want to win, but you're, you're either trying to win or you're trying not to lose. And so I, I digress, but so you have these, these young athletes and I would say young is, geez, up to 35, I would say, as you people navigating life, figuring out what they want to do. And you have this group of people that are just so vulnerable to the, because they're so closely tied to this game abiding by a set of rules that a lot of other people outside of the game don't abide by. People are telling you you're the best. You're, you're tying, you, you, you haven't really stuck your head out of that fish tank to realize how the world works. What are the things you like, other things you enjoy? And it's, it's no, I, no wonder there's so many issues, I would say, in the game, these maladaptive behaviors um, that, that do exist. And I don't know if you see this today, but we know that drug use is an issue, right? We know that uh, financial, there are financial issues that people are living well beyond their needs to keep up with the Joneses and have, fly private jets and they don't have the money for it and have four cars and three homes. And it's just, it, it is very simple that it comes from a place of, if you track it back with psychological research, you know, place of vulnerability. So they're, they're acting a little bit of this macho response is I have to be bigger and I have to be better. And I have to show to the world now, uh, who I am and what I do, uh, because anything other than that is, is, is scary for people. Oh, I'm not the hockey player. What, who am I then? And so it's this, it's actually called reaction formation so that you act even more so like the hockey player to make yourself feel, feel safe, but then also prove to other people that you are that hockey player. So as soon as that, that ego identity is threatened in any way, Hey, you're not playing tomorrow night. You're sitting out everything you are shaping your life around has was just taken from you for, for tomorrow night's game. Oh, so of course sucks. I'm going to go to the bar. I'm going to go to the bar. And, it's uh, right? like, yeah, look at you. Exactly. You're all of a sudden. This is why I, this is why I've started to engage in this, in this work and, and in conversations with, you know, people doing the research and, and education uh, that you are like, if I were to, you know, say out loud, like the things that I have done, from an ego projection standpoint, like with the thought of making sure of what other people, making sure that I was able to come across as who I wanted to be towards other people. Like I'm five foot 10, you know, I play around 200 pounds. Uh, I have purposefully worn taller shoes to the rink for months upon end to ensure that I looked bigger. Um, I would not wear you know, like a shirt like this. It, it, maybe it looks studious, you know, kind of collegiate, maybe, you know, preppy if you were to, I'm not, you know, equipped with fashion uh, terms, but I would just wear like black, like black sweatshirts, jackets, hard, emotionless, you know, looks 
and I mean, the list can go on and on, but it was, um, it's difficult. And I was, I was in this position where there was an agreement in place. Uh, my life will be enjoyable or worth living if I play well. And the other side of that coin is if I don't play well, and I'm sure you experienced as a player, like you're not engaged in conversations with your significant other or really anybody. Uh, you're not interested in what you have to eat. Like food sucks. Doesn't taste as good. You definitely don't sleep well. There is this, you know, frozen tightrope that you're walking on that infiltrates this nervous system response, like infiltrates every minute practice, you know, or the game was 60 minutes. Uh, and I, I just, I got so sick of it. I'm like, I've been in a bad mood. At what point am I in a bad mood or am I just an irritable person? right? To, to bring out the identity concept. Like at what point, Connor, if you've been in a bad mood for a month, it's not a mood swing. <laughs> You're just irritable or negative or pessimistic or scared, you know, really is what it was. And so what do you do in your work with heroic minds and what you're studying? And, and I want to, you know, transition there because I can tell you're so passionate uh, about it and, and know so much, but what are you doing? Like, what do the success stories look like? What does the other side of the fence look like? Because people like me and maybe where I was, the answer to, well, Ben, the game's too competitive. I can't think about anything else, right? Like, uh, there's this concept that if I, you know, start to search through my ego and try to be anything else or, or you know, even consider different aspects of my identity, the game will leave me. The train's leaving so mm -hmm. what are you doing with younger athletes? Uh, you know, go as young as nine through 12, all Jesus, up to someone all, like yeah. myself. Cause I know you, I know you're talking to, you know, teammates and, and, you know, guys that are still playing, you know, uh, trying to sort these things out because, and, and what's scary is I don't think it's position specific. Like I know it's just different, right? If I go 12 games without a point, I'm starting to sweat. You know, if Austin Matthews goes 12 minutes, it's a, it's an article in the, in the paper, you know what I mean? Like that kind of yeah. thing. So, you know, we're, we all answer to this at some point. Totally. And, and my answer would be, it's this idea called paradoxical intent. And what that is, is when you have an issue, a problem, this is, can relate to you, Austin Matthews, whatever the, the businessman down the street, doesn't matter, is when we hyper-focus on something, it, it actually can, can make things worse in a sense that here's an example. When you, when you overthink, when you have to make a good pass and you think about making that good pass, you throw it in the guy's feet. When you're not thinking about the pass, you're thinking about the drinks you had last night in practice and you throw a saucer pass cross icicles on his stick and you didn't even, you think you weren't even trying, right? You weren't even thinking about it. So we have this incredible way as human beings to do things and achieve things without specifically uh, trying to do those ex ex executions of each of, of the task, those little small executions. And, and, a, and I mean, there's so many different examples. Another one, you know, you're out at a party and there's a, you're having a conversation with someone and there's another conversation beside you of a, a two other people talking. And if I would say to you, Hey, I want you to have the conversation you're having. And at the same time, I want you to ignore the conversation that's happening beside you. I, I want you to not let, I want you to try to not listen to the people beside you. What are you going to do? You're going to listen to the people beside you because you now you're trying not to do it. It's like, say, don't think of an orange and you think of an orange. So, but then as soon as you stop trying to not do that, 
you stop hyper-focusing on it. You stop th- saying to yourself, Connor, stop. Don't listen to those people. Don't listen to those people. And then you're like, oh shit, I just heard them. I just listened to them. And it just becomes this, this cycle that's, that's difficult to get out of. But if you just stop trying to not do that and just enjoyed the conversation you were having, all of a sudden you're able to ignore the conversation beside you. And so that's, that to me is on a very, very, very high level, how I approach this conversation with the, with the identity and with athletes. And it's, it's basically, instead of hyper-focusing on the anxiety that we feel and the fact that we can't perform, it's, it's treating, treating that is treating the symptoms, not the cause. So you're going to have, once that tool burns out, you know, you're going to have to pick up the next self-help book that'll work for a month. And then those tools will burn off because the, your symptoms aren't reacting to it anymore. Then you pick up another self-help book and then, you know, and then it's no wonder you get sent down to the American league. How many stories have you heard where guys get sent down and it's right to the airport lobby? You know, let's, let's get on Tinder. Let's get to the, those are, those are reactions to that vulnerability or fear that you just, uh, you just talked about. It's like, I need to feel macho now. I need to make up for this. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in a position I don't like. So now I have my maladaptive behavior, whatever that is, drug use, alcohol or depression, whatever. So how do we avoid this? And, and using this paradoxical intent is, is let's figure out the identity on a deeper level. Let's figure out, let's get you to the point where it doesn't matter if you're throwing on your your New Jersey Devils jersey, or you're showing up to the grocery store with your your young your young child that's on their way, or you're in the classroom doing a talk for young kids. Who is Connor Carrick in those in those three moments? Because the Connor Carrick that walks into the the elementary school to give a speech, biologically and behaviorally, is the same person that dresses and has to play on the power play in front of twenty thousand people. Now, yes, you can control certain behaviors that will be different in both of those environments. But biologically, your defense mechanisms and and who you are and how you react to things are going to be the same. So it's who who do you want to be in life? Who do you want to be? What story are you telling yourself? Who is it that you identify with? And are you behaving in that way? That those are the things you have to uncover with, with, I would say all athletes, but especially young athletes that I'm starting to work with. And when I say young, I would say that to me, the, where people really start to specialize is 12, 13. So trying to get in with this audience and, and start to figure out that identity, put in the proactive work now so that you have these, I mean, not to pump his tires because I feel like I do on every podcast when hockey comes on, but Gabriel Landeskog is one example I always give. I would I would bet a lot of money that if, if tomorrow he had to stop playing hockey, it would not matter. It would be tough. Don't get me wrong. It, it would be tough. He'd have his, you know, yeah, I wish I was still playing. Geez, he's, he's in a pretty cool position there in Colorado. He's the ability to be a leader. People love him. But if I, I, am, I believe with the way he shaped his identity of who he is as a human being, whether he's a hockey player, I know, I know if hockey was taken, he would go down to the local fire station in Colorado or in Sweden or in Aurora and say, hey, what do I have to do to, to get on board here and be a part of this team as a firefighter? And he would, it's not that he's, people talk about identity as athletes. It's who's your identity as a human being so that it doesn't matter if I'm playing hockey or if I'm putting out fires or if I'm a nurse or if I'm a teacher. It's carrying something so much deeper that, that now, again, paradoxically, it doesn't matter if I'm having a few bad games. I'm, I'm, I have this deeper identity. I have my three actionable things I can do to get back on path, just like you talked about. You know, I've had 10 good games. This is a bump in the road. I'm still Connor Carrick that does this, this, and this. That's who I am. I'm going to jump back on track here. Awesome chat from your coach, which you alluded to earlier. 
and you, and you have the, this process. So now it doesn't spin out into these maladaptive behaviors of what the heck am I going to do if this game doesn't work out? Oh, I've had eight bad games. My life's over. There's, I hate to say it because people don't like this, but there's a lot of value in being at peace with if hockey doesn't work, if you had to change careers, there's, there's, there's a lot of power in that, in the, in the ability to say that and believe it. And, and the power comes with being able to drop your shoulders and love the hell out of every second of the shift that you have and be the absolute best you can be. There is a sense of peace that comes with that because the pressure that this is the only thing I have and I have to execute or, or things are done, um, can, can, you know, your shoulders come up, your blood vessels constrict and for whatever reason, you have no legs that night and there's no other reason, right? I, I don't know why I didn't have legs that night. I don't know why I played so shitty. So again, that's, that's kind of the paradox in a very small nutshell, but that's, that's how I approach the conversation is, is who are you? Let's figure out that identity and let's figure out how you're acting in that way. Are you behaving the way that's going to lead to a, a fruitful outcome uh, each night, each night you put your skates on? Yeah, I guess I, I really had an appreciation for this sort of work because what I realized from a personal standpoint, I'll go from a, a hockey standpoint first. I would, I was doing all this work. Uh, I was doing all this work in the weight room. I was doing all this skill work and I would have that feeling where I get out on the ice, tunnel vision, I feel short, legs aren't there. I'm, I'm fatiguing earlier, scared isn't strong. Scared is not skill. It's irrelevant. All of that goes to nil. If you don't have the frameworks in place for your skill to shine, for your strength to shine, for your, your speed to come through, you will be, you know, quite literally a, a very cornered in animal, right? Like there, there's this hyper stress response. And then from a personal standpoint, I was frustrated. I think there was this on paper, had it all going in the right direction illusion. And I, and there was this guilt. There's like, why do I not appreciate for how good my life is going? Like, what am I missing? Right? Like, where is, you know, the, the sense of appreciation? And, and there was some questions that I would come back to, I guess, to, to highlight on, on, you know, doing the work and, and possible uh, solutions for people. Cause I don't, I don't want to, cause it is a dark place, right? Like, cause there's a question, what if we do all this, uh, identity reflection and Ben, I got, I got nothing. Like I do have all my eggs in this basket. Like that's a humbling, dark place, lonely, right? Like, oh, well now where do we go? We've got to build that up. Um, but there was, uh, you know, there, there were all sorts of times in my career where I'm like, I feel like I'm missing it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, you know, to, to highlight some of the solutions, like uh, there was a, a strength coach that we had that just left for the Arizona Coyotes. I'm going to send him this podcast now because he's going <laughs> to, I hope, appreciate that I said this, but his name is Devin McConnell. And uh, he took the job with the Coyotes. We were training here in Jersey. And I just went up to him when I heard the news and I said, you know, Dev, Hey, you know, really appreciate all the time we took together. Uh, we, we trained a lot, you know, during injuries and things like that. You'll be missed when you're gone. That's all I said. And he, like it hit him. Like he, he kind of took a moment and was really, you know, kind of almost shook up. 
And so anyway, he texts me later that day and he's like, you know, Connor, I wanted to say thanks that you said that. He's like, because my sole goal has always been everywhere I've been was to just leave the Jersey better than I found it. And I was like, the simplicity in that is beautiful. Like the actionable, you know, what makes the Jersey better, right? The, what makes the Jersey better isn't, uh, getting scratched, throwing a fit, being a, you know, giving a poor effort in practice, uh, not trying to hurt a teammate so you can get back in the lineup. I've, I've seen that in pro hockey, you know, you, the, the, the bite and snarl you see out of, out of people is it's sad. Um, and then in my own journal, like, like three things I've, uh, I do these three, you know, priorities for the day and the three that I've written out for like the last six weeks, I used to kind of change them every day, but similar to the, just cycling through the self-help books. Like I'm like, I think I'm just trying a different shoe on every day, hoping that it works. Yeah. Um, one is, one is compete, like be better than yesterday. Two is both an on ice and a, uh, personal goal is just pay attention. Like, don't miss the moment. Don't be sitting there in the face off, you know, considering how your skates don't fit right or the ice is bad tonight. Like, just see the players. Like, the game's hard enough. Just play the game. You know, uh, pay attention at the dinner table. Don't be, you know, miles deep on Instagram. Uh, wonder what your wife said at dinner because you've been gone all day and you don't get to have dinner together until tomorrow. And then the third one is process. Like, just one step at a time you know, go through your day, like see your goals out ahead of you. You know, they're not stacked on top of you. Um, and those three, I think, keep me in a good place, a strong place to handle personally, professionally, whatever comes through. It's the one I love most is process. I mean, I think your other two points are incredibly valuable as well. Being in the moments, one of the most difficult things. And I think the best way is to practice. Really, I think if we know anything, that's that's so true. Uh, but the, when you talk about process and I was writing down while you were talking, you know, you talked about on paper, I'm going in the right direction, but I still don't feel, you know, I still don't feel this. And, and what I, if I've, if I've learned anything fascinating from the podcast and diving into these stories of tragedy and, and courage, et cetera, it's that most of these people didn't have a complex plan. It was the plan that you just said that you have each day, which is three pillars. But we're in a time where we have technology. We can predict almost anything. So it's, it's this movement into a, into a space of, well, if we can control every variable, why don't we do, try and do that? It's no different than the, the stats in hockey now. Oh, we can, we can find out, you know, let's put this guy there on the, on the one-time spot because he's 80% from there. Okay, I guess that works for that. And then that starts to find its way into our behavioral space and our planning. And there's a part of us, we're not that smart, one, as, as human beings. We only have so much cognitive space to, to think about things and do things. And that's why being burnt out is such a popular thing today. I think it's actually fatigue is the highest uh, complaint for people and reason for people going to see their doctor right now, today. I don't know. I could cite that. I'll have to come back and cite that. But I know in a lot of my, my textbooks right now, it's saying fatigue's the biggest reason. Why is it fatigue? Because there's no physiological or no uh, physical ailment in these individuals. And I think it's due to what you alluded to is we want to make things more complex, thinking we can control the, the variables out of fear of if things don't work out. 
which is which is you could argue is a very human natural human instinct of anxiety fueling us to try and control as many variables as we can but as you also said then you get in your own way now you're figuring out why your skates don't feel right and and in two seconds the puck's going to be on your stick and the shot blocker is going to be coming out at you full speed and it's like that's that doesn't help all these extra rules and all these extra tips and all these extra thoughts don't help so i need to find those three things i need to find one the meta narrative that works who i want to be and then i need my actionables simple actionables and 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 that's the process to me that is when people say stick to the process it should be these simple things that you can you can execute and when you, coming back to what you also brought up is momentum motivation you build that by acting you don't build that doesn't you don't just wait and rest and then all of a sudden now that you're rested you have this motivation to want to take over the world and be the best person you you could ever be no that motivation stems from action from doing things and it's called it's achievement motivation theory that was coined out of harvard dr david mcclellan's his name long time ago and it's quite simple is that you're more motivated the closer you feel you are to a goal and so you have to shape your actions and your your mindset with, with that. And we know that's true. I, I always joke with kids when I'm giving this, uh, when I bring up this idea, and it's basically, are you more motivated the first two minutes of the test or when the teacher says, hey, you have to put your pencils down in a minute? Well, you're close to accomplishing something. So all of a sudden, you naturally dial in you stop thinking about all the other crap you were daydreaming about and you finish that test or, or running tracks. Another example, you know, your first five steps versus your last five steps, those last five steps, you, you thought you were bagged and all of a sudden you have this energy that comes out of nowhere because you're so close to accomplishing something. So I, I think it, I, in my mind, and I hope I'm not losing you, but it, it all comes full circle where what are the three actionables that I can tackle to make me feel this momentum? So I earn that momentum. It doesn't, it's not going to come out of nowhere. And we know you can sit around and wait for that. And, and you're going to wait a long time because the momentum comes from action and you build that momentum from that achievement motivation approach is, oh, I'm feeling like I'm getting somewhere. I'm feeling like I'm on the way there. And I believe it's, it's, I believe I'm not into the neuroscience space, but I believe it's the dopamine that you feel on the way towards an accomplishment. And it's serotonin that you feel once you get somewhere, I believe. And, and you can, you can fact check me on that one, but I'm, I'm quite optimistic. So what you want is to feel like you're on a journey somewhere. You don't want to feel like you're backed into the corner and you're the prey, the, the predator prey example that you brought up, uh, which I use all the time. Cause I think it's badass. is, you know, you, when you feel like you're on the journey towards something, you have these little hits of dopamine. That's where you get that motivation. That's what makes you want to get out of bed at 5 a.m. Because you feel like you're on, on the, the chase for something. You're in control. And, and that can be exciting. But I think, I think where we're going in the world of, of behavioral health, which is behavioral health, it's sports psychology, it's, it's all types of psychology, I believe, um, is I think we're overcomplicating things. We're, we're figuring out more complex ways to treat the symptoms. We don't want to treat the cause because treating the cause means looking inward and that feels like shit and people don't want to do it. So they avoid it and just download the app that helps them sleep instead of figuring out why sleeping so difficult. Um, and I, I think it's, it's really, we're, we're complicating the issue because it's easier. It truly is. It, that's, I know that sounds, that's a paradox in itself, you know, but it is easier to make an excuse to treat the symptoms. Uh, rather than simplify, pick my three pillars, look inward and figure out why I'm so upset, uh, which, which you've seemed to have figured out, which I think is, is super awesome. Like I said, when, we, when, when you reached out, knowing I'm having a conversation like this 
with someone in the game is is just so cool. And I know you're not the only one, but you know, I know there's some issues in the in the hockey space and to see and hear minds like like yours uh also suiting up and playing in front of twenty thousand people is pretty cool. I'm happy to see it. Well, what I what I am interested in next, and maybe just a bookmark, is like what are some questions we can use today or leave our listener with to start this journey of seeing their life as a journey, right? Mm -hmm. Because uh, I relate to that where, you know, earlier in my career, my goal was, okay, here's my plan. If I can get on the second penalty kill and I can play on the power play and I can play 18 to 21 minutes a night, those guys you know, sign these types of contracts or three to six years and they're from two to 10 million. And if I do that, I will have uh, some security and the coach will put me out there whether I make a mistake or not and my shoulders will uh, come down. And when that's your goal, what I found, one is it, that's a facade. That, that's not the sense of security you actually think's out there. There's expanse and drafts and these GMs are ultra creative on... Uh, you know, it, 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 there was, uh, I forget. Who it was you know hockey, that you're lying to yourself and even, you know, you know that. it. Yeah. So the, the, it's a, you know, uh, play stupid games, like win stupid prizes, right. Versus, okay. How can I be the person that's calm in the storm? How can I be the person who's secure with insecurity? You know what? Because I wasn't this person, but I, I do feel similar to the Gabriel Landeskog. Like I'll go through that worst case Ontario scenario where it's like, okay, if I were to be done tomorrow, what if I get sent down to the minors? What if I, you know, do this? And I'll go through some of the mental practices. I, I responded to someone on uh, Instagram the other day and, and just highlighting this concept of how important practice is. A uh, young player messaged me and said, hey, and again, I'm not a behavioral uh, cognition. I absolutely recommend people to go to, you know, people who have dedicated their lives like you, uh, you know, for this. But, you know, with my cheap advice that, you know, they'd asked for, I said, you know, when's the last time you've practiced some of these skills? And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, like, do you visualize? Yes. Do you visualize you scoring goals? Absolutely. Well, do you visualize yourself turning the puck over and there being 20,000 people going nuts and your coach yelling at you and you're just like, thanks, like I'm over it. Do you practice that? And that's kind of like that still concept of, of practicing and preparing for the worst. And it's most people will answer no. And, and that, that this really is where I think the next wave of, I'm hoping the next wave of athletic development lies because I really do feel Someone quantify where Tom Brady's, you know, biomechanics are mm -hmm. so superior. Show me where his skill set's so much greater. And I'm sure there's some good answers there. He's obviously elite. Um, but the best players year after year, you know, they have this emotional fortitude because that is game. That, that is sport. It's chaos. 100%. There's just some rules involved. So we all agree upon what chaos is okay versus yeah. that's offsides. Um so what are some questions you'll take, uh, you know, clients of yours, players of yours, you know, what are some questions that we can leave our audience with that maybe it's not necessary to find an answer, but it's somewhere to start chewing. Yeah, I think, I mean, you, I think nailed it. 
it's a it's a question people want to avoid. We don't want to think about what would we do if this was taken from me. Who would I be? And I think the goal with the answer is that you're the same. You're not you're not a different person. You're gonna to have to find a different medium in which you interact with. So what I would say is who, you know, you talked about yourself turning the puck over. You could you could make that even in deeper and say what's the the impact you want to have on the world as you, as you travel through life, whether you're at the rink, whether you're not at the rink, because I think that's the, the level that would be ideal. I think it's a, a healthy reflection of what you said. You know, I, I, something goes wrong. I turn the puck over, throw it up the glass. It's coming back my way. My feet are flat. What am I going to do here? I think that's important, but I think it's, it's, it would be also beneficial to talk about who you are and what's the impact you want to have when you leave a room. That's a great one. Who's who, what impact do you want to leave when you leave a room of people you just met for the first time? And then, then the next one, now we go to the actionables again, we can think about this and think about it all day, but we need action, of course. So it's who, who do you want to be? What is the impact you want to leave in rooms that you enter? And the third one is the action. And how are you going to behave that way? Because there's a part of you that's going to remember that. I mean, I, it, it was, I was reading a book a long time ago, uh, Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, I think yeah. fascinating, talks about, and, and, and just talks about the power of the, the subconscious. And then Norman Doidge, a doctor from, from Toronto, that talks about plasticity. And, and in Norman Doidge's book, he says that there's research done where someone practicing to play the piano in their mind, like eyes closed, pretending to play the piano, a, a simple chord, two people that have never played piano before. One person practiced on a piano, one person practiced on a table with no real keys, no real piano, just pretended to play the keys. And they did brain scans and saw, and I don't want to dive into the neuroscience of it, but it's just fascinating to know that both people improved. Yes, the person with the piano, I believe in, in clinic improved a tiny bit more but the person practicing the piano with no piano and imagery improved and, and stimulated the same area of the brain as the person playing a real piano. I find that incredible. Um, now coming back, when you think about how you're going to act that way, that's going to find its way into your life, into your behavior. It's no different than reflecting or journaling, right? You're, you're doing that so that it comes back out into your psyche somehow, consciously or subconsciously, doesn't matter because it's still going to become, you know, still going to influence your behavior. So it's how do you want to leave that room? And, and how are you going to behave to do so? And I'll, I'll bring a full circle right back to Steve's spot. The best thing Spotter told me was always strive to be respected, not to be liked. And, and the, the interesting point in that, it's all good and well on the surface. But when you, when you peel the layers back, the difference between someone that is liked and someone that is respected, that this is where I really get fired up and think it's so powerful is that... The person that's respected is trusted. And as I take this next leap of faith in my life to start raising funds for a, a business that I believe in, and I know a bunch of business people already do, but I have to now go in front of other people and say, here's my idea. Here's the amount of money I need. And I'm asking these people for, for their monetary value, which they don't just give up to anyone. So I need to ensure that these people trust me of course, respect, but that's going to come from trust. And, and so I, I, so now, yes, it's, I can reflect. How am I going to act? How am I going to behave? What is it that I'm going to feel like when I'm in that room? How do I want to make sure that I feel? And, and how am I going to behave to make sure that that feeling gets across to the other people in the room? It's reflect those reflections. 
that's complex enough. All right. That you're not going to take these reflections with you everywhere. You do your reflection and then that should come out in your behavior. And, and it may likely come out subconsciously and, and there's no problem with that because it's still going to influence your behavior. And now to bring things full circle to what I've harped on more than enough in this talk is we, we overcomplicate things. That's, that's enough complexity for me. I, I thought about what I need to do. I reflected a ton. I know how I'm going to behave. So who am I going to be? Figure that out. How do I want to influence? How do I want to leave the room that I enter? That's number two. And finally, I know how I'm going to act because I just reflected on it for a couple of minutes or five minutes. And now I just go in and do it. Now I do what you do when you wake up. I do my three reflections. I make sure I spend time with my family. I make sure I'm present, right? I do those things. That's easy. Those are the only rules I need. I don't need anything else. And then when, now that I've simplified it, now I can finally act, which is what we know leads to success. Success in relationships, success in sports, success in academics, success in healthcare is an action towards something. Um, so yeah, I hope that, I hope that answers the question, but that is, I think the question that I would love to leave with your listeners is, how do you want to, what's the effect you want to leave on the room that you enter? And maybe it's even, what's the, the effect you want to leave on, on the practice, your team? A little quick reflection on how you're going to behave that way and then let it go. Find your three pillars. Jeez, you can have two pillars. You can have one pillar and, and let that carry you through. You know, enough overthinking. It's, it's the, I feel like we're in a time of, geez, if we, if we can make people think we can charge them for it and that's perfect. Let's make more money, right? It's just, we know it's leading to, to our own demise. I, I'll finish in just a couple stats that I think are quite staggering that hopefully make people think, at least here in Canada, I, I use Canadian stats, but I know we're, we're not too different than our American neighbors, is that investment into this space, behavioral health, which I've already alluded to is, is yeah, we're, yeah, we're talking sport, but it's, it's all people. It's just how people behave. The investment into behavioral health, mental health, anxiety, depression, et cetera, continues to go up. We're, we're pouring more and more money in Yet the rates of anxiety and depression, these behavioral health issues are also rising. So that's not a good thing. A positive correlation we do not want to see. If we're investing more in this issue, we should see rates going down. Should we not? That's what you'd hope. So it begs the question, you know, what are we doing wrong? And, and the stuff we talked about on this call isn't what's being recommended right now. Yeah. And I'm not saying I have all the answers. I'll st you know, I, this is all hypothesis. I'm going by the hundred anecdotes that I have on the podcast and I'm going by my, my masters of uh, counseling psychology right now that are pointing in the direction of what we're talking about. But when you look in society, that's not really where people are being directed. They're given snacks, snacks in the office and paid vacation and yoga at lunch and uh, headspace app and all these other things. And it's like, is that leading people to, to treat the cause of these issues or are they just treating the symptoms because it's easier? And so I, I think it's a time for a you know, catalytical shift in this space because what we're doing isn't working. So we do, we need to flip the script at some point. And, and the goal and just the advice of like, Hey, let's simplify some things. How calming is just hearing that, right? Like just saying that I, and I've, I've said it to myself because I am someone like that where I can think myself into a powder and come up with a different, uh, you know, an infinite amount of uh, solutions or ways I could do anything from what I want for breakfast to how I train to uh, what curve or, or stick I want to use at the rink. And I think, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting, even at home, I'll read some books, whether it's stoicism from time to time, well, I got it behind me. What is it? 
uh, Zen mind, uh, beginner's mind, and you're, you're reading these lessons that are like millennia old, definitely pre-Instagram. <laughs> you're yeah. just, yeah. you're floored by the carryover. And it's comforting, I know for me, where I'm like, okay, I know I, I you know, was kind of raised in the participation trophy world in the, you know, I'm unique and I'm one of one uh, and I'm very special and, and, you know, for all those reasons and, and I, you know, believed some of it, but it's extremely humbling when you start to listen to and, and read about advice and, and ways that we tackle these human conditions that are much older than you and I. And uh, this, this, concept of simplifying is so present in a world, you know, pre-tech and things like that. Um, and it's amazing the way that these different simplifications of our life can add up, you know, what a good walk does, what a good meal does, what a good night's rest does, uh, what going barefoot does, you know, all these different physical, spiritual, mental practices that all kind of, you know, which one of them made me feel better. I'm not really that interested. I'm just happy I do. Um, and, and simplifying from there, I feel is, that's a great place to leave it. But Ben, uh, I'm going to have to check your schedule about when we can have you back on. Cause this was awesome. And I hope, I know we mentioned, yeah, I can't remember if it was on air or off air, you know, the lack thereof of reflection. Uh, but if I can gift anything to you today, I hope, uh, you know, as, as an opponent, I did always respect you. I always saw you were a strong player. Uh, and I know that, the gift of not playing in the National Hockey League, you know, I'm, I'm very excited to see what that gives you. And, and I hope you're proud of your work. I, I really appreciate, you know, the lengths at which you're going to, you know, try and learn all about this stuff that, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, consider woo or a soft skill. And uh, I, I guess I offer a warning, like, if, if you think this stuff's not for you, there will be a circumstance where you feel that blood constriction and you feel the hands get tight and you'll wonder where you know, all that time, you know, going through obstacles and cones and video work, you know, where it all went. Uh, and hopefully this podcast becomes your friend, but Ben, where can, uh, where can people find you? I know you have your own podcast. Uh, I just followed you on Instagram right before. So I, I found you, but where, where can people get more of you? So uh, anything heroic mind. So I seem to be the, the, the one person using that slogan. So whether it's Twitter, Instagram, website, podcast, everything is under heroic minds. And yeah, I, I enjoy these conversations as you can tell. So if anyone listening has wants to keep a conversation going, Hey, I heard you on this podcast and thought this was intriguing. I'll get back to you and keep the conversation going. Cause, cause I learn as much as anyone else. As I talk, I, I try and write down and, and Connor today's been outstanding. I've learned a lot just reflecting with you and, and sitting and chatting. And I'll, I'll just conclude in saying another interesting observation is as, uh, as life has become a little bit crazy and it's just getting faster and faster and Instagram's, you know, a, a place where we spend how many hours a day, unfortunately. And, you know, as, as life has moved, we used to shape societies around temples and churches and, and open areas and parks. And now society physically, and I think also metaphorically, on, on other levels are shaped now around banks and business buildings and technology and, and look at where that's going. And, and I think you tied things up perfectly in, in saying, you know, that, that walk, what a walk can do, what walking barefoot can do. And like you said, it doesn't matter how 
if it's spiritual, if it's physiological, if it's psychological, whatever, you know, those things that people used to do that led to a wholesome life, um, I think is worth looking into. It's, is it the answer? Maybe, maybe not, but I think it's really worth looking into and we can all find different areas in our lives where we can fit that in. Maybe it's instead of checking your phone first thing in the morning that already sets your body into, you know, gear four, instead of being in gear two, uh, you know, sit down, have a tea for 20 minutes or 10 minutes or five minutes, whatever it is, everyone has different schedules in their lives. Uh, maybe it's a two minute breathing exercise. When you wake up, these things that seem super, you know, Eastern and, and spiritual and almost witchcraft, there's, I think there's some merit to them, even if it's a placebo. So that's what I'll conclude on is, is, now find that habit that works for you, that grounds you and allows you to be the hero of your story. Cause ultimately you're the, you're the only hero you're going to have when, when it's 2 AM and push comes to shove and you're feeling off, it's, it's got to come from within you. So find those habits that'll allow you to be that hero. And, and once you're the hero of your story, you, you begin to become a hero for other people. And I think that's the best way to lead a life. So thank you so much, Connor. And yeah, if anyone wants to check things out again, it's heroic minds. It's awesome, Ben. Yeah. No one's coming thank to save you. us. So it's both no. freeing and uh, terrifying, but exactly. Uh, thanks for your time, man. Have a great rest of your night and uh, we'll let you know when this all drops, but this was outstanding. Really appreciate it. Awesome. And I may circle back on some projects too, somewhere in the future and, and we'd be yeah, happy again. It's a breath of fresh air to, to hear a mind in the game thinking this way. Cause I think it's going to be the, you know, the secret to, well, not even a secret, but the answer to a lot of the issues in the game. So I appreciate you and, and thanks for thinking of me. Absolutely. Wow, what a podcast uh, with such an impressive uh, person in, in Ben Finelli. Ben, thank you for sharing your story today, for your generosity with your time and, and really the vulnerability, showing proof of, of all the work you've done. But there were three particular points as I try to draw out of our, every podcast uh, that I want to highlight today. One is when Ben was rehabilitating uh, through, his through his industry, through his injury, community was so important for him. And what I want to urge our listener uh, to do is if you're going through a difficult time in your life, find a way to create a culture of support, a, co a community of support around you. Or better yet, if you notice uh, a loved one, a teammate, someone going through a difficult time, be that community for them. Uh, Barry Trotz used to have a, say, a saying, if you want to go somewhere fast, go by, go by yourself. If you want to go somewhere far, you got to go with the team. And that always resonated with me. Two, the world opens up when we reflect upon our life and we're, we're able to see our life as this journey, the, the concept of possibility. We're able to see uh, the infinite, uh, I guess, abundance of options or things that could go right in our life. Uh, instead of thinking that everything is finite. Everything is the last judgment uh, of our of our career, of ourselves, uh, and, and the world can really shut down. So this concept that we are all on our journey is really freeing. If it frees us up to continue to grow, we're not at an end point, we're not at a checkpoint. Uh, we don't necessarily need to know everything and do everything under the sun. It sort of um, allows us to maintain this beginner's mind uh, that I feel is so important that I try and practice. And then third, we as people, we need to sit with ourselves. There is so much information overload in the Instagram world, and I'm guilty of it in the internet world and, and TikTok, uh, crazy app, by the way. Every time I open it, I, I make sure I'm free for the next 30 to 40 minutes. But if we can 
sit with ourselves and, and really be conscious about, conscious about who we want to be going forward and what does that person do? What do they act like? What are their mannerisms? We can then architect ourselves instead of being at the mercy of our subconscious or our personality uh, of, of different aspects of ourselves that maybe can have hints of self-sabotage in them. So I want to leave you with those three points and, and thank you as our listener for listening week in, week out. Uh, this was an outstanding podcast, one of my favorite. We'll have to you know, talk to Ben about when we can get him on again. But uh, as our listener, please continue to like and subscribe, uh, comment, leave five stars, uh, or you can leave four. I'll just uh, find you and, and try and delete your comment or uh, your rating. But thank you for sticking with us, and I look forward to doing it again next week. Hey, guys, it's producer Colin. I hope you enjoyed the show. I want to let you guys know about a new way you can support the Curious Competitor podcast. We are super proud to have launched a Patreon with access to additional content, exclusive AMAs, and loyalty merchandise. If you could spare the cost of a latte a month, it would go a long way in supporting the expenses involved with the podcast, as well as supporting the people that make it happen. If you do not currently have the means to do so, please don't feel the need to donate. We will be providing this podcast continuously and hope you can find value in these conversations. If you're interested in supporting, visit patreon.com forward slash the curious competitor or check out the link in the show notes. Any support of the podcast is greatly appreciated. And as always, we look forward to seeing you next week.